Hello and welcome to Tomorrow's Heroes, Empowering Tomorrow's Heroes. Uh, I'm your host, Marietta Cameron, and thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, we're discussing early brain development from infancy to adolescence, everyday wisdom and practical know-how, hands-on learning experiences in our third segment. In the house tonight is Dr. Chris Gilbert, MD, PhD, and author of six books. Good evening, Dr. Chris. Thank you for being with us today. Good evening, Marriott. My pleasure to be here. Thank you, Dr. Chris. Uh, you can find Dr. Chris on the web at drchrisgilbert.com. That is drchrisgilbert.com. And Bob Waters, entrepreneur and business owner of SEO Marketing Group. Good evening, Bob. How are you? Very good, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. Good. Great. And uh, to get to know us a little more, please go to our website, kmareducation.org, and go right to the About Us page. All our work history and credentials are there. Before we get started, I do have some announcements. TheHealingMindMagazine.com is a dynamic international platform promoting holistic wellness and mental health. It provides diverse articles, resources, and expert insights to empower individuals worldwide in their journey toward physical, emotional, and psychological well-being. Check out the HealingMindMagazine.com. It's a monthly digital magazine. At Kmart Educational Services, we foster lifelong learning in an international classroom setting, enriching soft and hard skills. Please check out kmareducation.org. You can also connect with us on Facebook under Marietta Camera, TikTok, Reset.Year.Life, and TikTok, Life Talk with Marietta. And you know, just in case, if people wonder, and people always wonder, uh, did you know that SEO experts are hired to help marketing teams garner quality web traffic? They help create successful digital campaigns and bring new business to the company. An SEO expert is expected to be responsible for about half of the traffic to the average website. So contact info at kmareducation.org for consultation. That is info at kmareducation.org. So I'm all done with my announcements. Yeah, people always wonder. I had an email the other day. What is the SEO marketing? Yeah, so, well, here it is. You know, people don't know everything. So, um, mm-hmm. Robert, you're with us, right? Right here, yep. Okay, very good. Okay, let's get started. Empowering Tomorrow's Heroes. In segment one, we talk about the early brain development from infancy to adolescence. So remember that individuals, individual development can vary, but these general trends it can help you understand the key aspects of brain development and who is uh, who's the, really the expert on all of this is our Dr. Chris Gilbert. So would you kindly, Dr. Chris, take us through infancy right through middle childhood and what's really happening because we didn't know this uh, 30, 40 years ago, at least the average person who had a family, um, mothers, fathers, they didn't know about this. Um, brain development. So um, what is happening in infancy, in the infancy um, from zero to two, Dr. Chris? Well, 
Well, first, uh, you, we need to know that the early years of life are a critical period for brain development because during that time, the brain undergoes rapid growth and change. So the experiences that children have during that time can have a really lasting impact on their learning, on their behavior, and also on their health. Well, positive experiences can help uh, promote healthy brain development, but we need to know that negative experiences can have a negative impact on brain development. So infancy, from birth to two years of age, uh, what's happening? Well, newborn babies have brains that are about a quarter of the size of an adult brain. And what's happening during the first year of life? Well, the brain doubles in size. So then because there are synapses, the synapses are connection between neurons, and those are formed at a very rapid rate. The sensory areas of the brain are developed rapidly also, allowing infants to learn about the world through their senses, like the touch and smell. And as you remember, those infants put everything in their mouth. So we can remember actually what everything tastes like from an early age. But also motor skills are developing. Uh, language development is beginning. Uh, and then afterwards, toddlerhood, like from two to three years old, the brain continues to grow rapidly, reaching about 80% of its adult size. So synapses, the connections between neurons, are still being formed at a high rate. But what starts then is the process of pruning. Pruning is eliminating unused connections. And also what's very important is the prefrontal cortex. Uh, that's at the front of the brain, and it's responsible for executive functions such as planning, decision-making, but also impulse control, and that is beginning to develop. And also language development is progressing rapidly. The toddler is learning to use phrases to communicate. And then the self-awareness is developing. They start to, and toddlers start understanding that they're separate from their caregivers. Then afterwards we have preschool, three to five years old. Uh, the brain continues to grow, but at a slower rate. The pruning of unused synapses are continuing, and also the prefrontal cortex is further developing, so there is improved executive function and improved uh, impulse control. And language continues to develop, and social and emotional skills are developing, and they learn how to manage their emotions. Then afterwards, you've got school age, 6 to 12 years old, though the brain is, is very close to its adult size. Uh, the pruning of unused synapses continues, but at a very slower rate. The prefrontal cortex is developing more. There are more improved functions, executive function, and um, impulse control. Language is continuing, and academic skills are developing. Well, children's Children learn to think critically, to solve problems, and to remember information. And afterwards, we've got adolescents, 13 to 19 years old, where the brain is reaching its adult size and structure. Uh, but the prefrontal cortex is still developing, and uh, adolescents are forming their own sense of identity and independence, also developing their own values and beliefs. So... 
Um, that's why it's really important to, because all those yours are so important, it's important to talk to the child often. It's important to read to the child, to play with the child, and in, in summary, to spend a lot of time with your child. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Bob, uh, I know this is close to your heart, too, and you had some experience um, about, you know, with the early brain development. Can you... Um, can you come in, please? Absolutely. I mean, I come from the more anecdotal, real-life um, side where I've helped raise many different nieces and nephews and family members of all ages, and you can definitely see it the different the different ages for both boys and girls. They develop a little bit differently. They're creative ways that they do different things like boys play certain types of games and that I feel kind of wires the brain towards one way whereas girls tend to play with dolls and a lot more um, they do a lot more creative so it's wiring their brain in a separate way so I think where in the past science has said oh well men are like this women are like that to me i think it's really just like dr chris said it's the influences at the early age that wire the brain in a certain way and sure if you raise you know most of a country to where boys do one thing and girls do another thing they're in a sense going to come out 10 15 20 years later with a lot of the same on the same track would you say that's true dr chris yeah absolutely absolutely but also you you know by you you can see even if you present uh toys that boys like and if you present those toys to girls they will tend to prefer um you know uh playing with dolls uh, and if you present to boys uh, dolls, then they will prefer to play with guns, for example. It's just interesting that something is wired in their in their brains. Right. It seems to be wired differently to start with. Right, yeah. and that's um, true as well. Mm-hmm. I remember raising my daughter in the 60s, my daughter Heidi, and if I compare the 1960 when she was born 1968 versus 2023 how aware the little children are even at age one age one and a half two uh, it's incredible you see it in their eyes how they um, how they look at the environment how they really understand you can see it in their eyes it's just a faster pace it's it's almost like how do I say it, Dr. Chris, if you would help me out? Uh, they were not as aware in the 19th, in the 60s versus the children today. I mean, that's a fact. Look at some of the kids at age three. They play piano. At age four, I just saw some, some videos on TikTok, and it was real. Um, the little kid, maybe four or five at, at the most, was doing multiplic- multiplication on a, on a chalkboard. Mm-hmm. So it cannot, I mean, unless you did an incredible editing job uh, on this video, <laughs> it, it, it had to be real. 
It just really had to be real. Unless that little little boy rehearsed this, everything, uh, what he talked about and went line for line and, and everything. It was incredible. I believe it was real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you expose them to it and their brain is able to absorb it and and regurgitate it in a sense, then they can do, you know, some kids can do that. I started teaching my one nephew reading a little bit before five so he hadn't gone into preschool yet so but i exposed him to letters and i worked with them you know pretty much daily just here and there more as a game than anything but within just a few short weeks he was spelling letters spelling words and you know so if i didn't expose that to him he wouldn't he would have been the same where he was at three. He would have had no idea how to spell cat, dog, you know, this, that, the other, just three-letter words. You but... have to have that the exposure. That's right, exactly. Bob. Because at age three, two and a half, three, Heidi spoke fluent German and English mm-hmm. and was able to switch back and forth like a light switch. Uh, right. Today, you see children in front of a, a huge television. They still have diapers on, and they dance to all the stars, their favorite song and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They know the words to, the, mm-hmm. to their favorite song. At age one and a half, still diapers in a onesie. And uh, it's just really incredible. What, and they're on America Has Talent stage at age six, you know, and mm-hmm. singing uh, Aretha Franklin songs. Now, get this. Right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. the truth. It's yeah, incredible what the, what the... Yeah? Yeah. It's but just also, it's a lot of exposure and, and hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, many years ago, we did not have social media. We did not have t- TikTok. We didn't know mm-hmm. about all those phenomena. You know, those kids, yeah. they were kids that were very gifted. We just didn't know about them. Now, with mm-hmm. social media, we know everything. I mean, as soon as there is a gifted child, you know it right away. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Dr. Chris, you were born in Europe. Do you recall that adults, meaning our parents, really kept us away from television? Oh, yeah. Uh, television, anything an adult would do, uh, even music, dancing, watching adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It was not done around children. Uh, it was a very awkward Maybe it wasn't awkward at the time, but I find it awkward now um, looking back that uh, these segments of living in, in a family's home and what parents did and not don't let the children see it. Um, uh, it's incredible how, how some of the families grew up, how some of the kids grew up, but maybe it just, was just a European thing. I don't know. Yeah, it's true. I was not allowed to watch TV. I was allowed to watch TV maybe half an hour every night, but that was it. You know, it's like, no, 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 TV's not good. <laughs> that was yeah, TV is, yeah, but isn't that interesting? Why wasn't it good? Because you would see people uh, that may not be doing the right thing and your child would pick it up. Is that what it, what it was? Must have been, right? No, it was supposed, for me, it was supposed to be a, a waste of time. 
an energy. It, what was what I was supposed to do was learn, was do my homework, was uh, you know talk to my parents. Uh, it was all about interacting with my parents and learning new things. And they assumed that if I watched TV, which was usually episodes of whatever series, uh, <laughs> yeah. I was not learning anything that was productive. mission impossible, right? There mission impossible. That was a big show in, in Europe yep. uh, in, in the 60s. Yeah. Yes. So, mm-hmm. or, or Emma Peel. Remember Emma Peel? Yes, 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 yes. That was the, uh, the, the, the English show. Remember yes, her? Yes, yeah. Yes, oh, that yes. was, that, or Dragnet. That was a big thing, too. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, you know, I, I went to, had to go to bed always very early, and when that came on, I snuck back downstairs, and I would look, watch TV because they had the door not quite away shot, you know, maybe an inch, <laughs> a couple of inches open, and I would peek through it the entire show, and they never noticed it, you know? <laughs> so anyway, so TV was a, was a, was a, a rare thing. It was a it was something very, very special. And I remember coming to this country from Germany here to, to the U.S., uh, and I saw the, a toddler, um, maybe a year old, and he was standing in his crib. He had his own TV already. I almost flipped out. I never forget that. <laughs> they were watching Roadrunner or whatever the show was in the 60s, you know. So, but no, it's, it's, it's incredible. But yes, it, it, it what. The child will pick up what it is exposed to. And I think I was mm-hmm. ahead of my time uh, when I was age two. I knew uh, I don't let anybody tell me what to do. So really, it's the truth. And if they started to tell me what to do, I would throw my whole body onto the floor and would stomp my feet. <laughs> so, but ain't yet. No, so... Um, so the rest, you know, I can't tell you too, too much. But anyway, so thank you, uh, Dr. Chris, for walking us through uh, the brain development. Um, it's very, very interesting once you really start researching, which I have. Um, is there any other question in regards to the brain development, Robert? I hear some no- static. I, I think you've. I think we've covered most of it, you know. But it definitely, you know, nowadays with so much good information on TV or through YouTube or other devices, you know, to me, if I was raising kids today, they'd be watching documentaries and educational stuff all day long. So it's really not the the TV itself. It's what's coming through that makes the difference. Yeah. Okay. So let us move right along to segment two, uh, Empowering Tomorrow's Heroes Everyday Wisdom. And I created a wonderful family, the Johnson family. Um, Parents, Mike and Sarah, and they have Amy and Tom. And of course, these stories highlight the potential consequences of neglecting these principles and emphasizing the importance of teaching them to children for personal growth and well-being. So um, let's start with lack of clear values and expectations, and I refer to my notes here. In the Johnson family, no clear values of expectations were set. The children, Amy and Tom, grew up without a solid moral compass. The pros included the freedom to make their own choices, but the cons involved a lack of guidance, leading to moral confusion and potentially unethical behavior. I would say there was chaos later in life and also growing up. 
uh, who, who wants to um, who wants to jump in? Dr. Chris, go ahead. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, when there is a, a, a lack of value, um, then the children don't have any really a compass of what to look for. They don't have any role model, um, so they're lost to get their role model from their peers, from the other children they're with. And if the other children don't have any good role model, then it could be that they're going to be uh, doing things that are not great, or that, that could be against the law, or that could be detrimental to their health. Um, so it, it's, it's so important to raise the children with some values, with some guidelines, especially when their brain is so malleable and so mm-hmm. uh, impression. I mean, they... They can learn anything, whether it's good or bad, they will learn it. So it's important to put in their brain something that's good and important values, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. And the Johnson family is actually a real family. And what I have to say to that is the children, both children will pick up father and mother's behavior. And the father uh, really is antisocial, and the mother only talks to people um, when she ap- uh, absolutely has to so they're both sending mixed message messages and if you really look at the children that's exactly how they uh, how they are and they cannot communicate consistently with others uh, it's amazing they have picked up the same behavior from their father and mother um, this is this is this is real Amy and Tom they really did okay. they're really doing that and you wonder, why is there such mixed messages? Well, because just look at the father and mother, same thing. And it continued. And they're going to have some big awakening um, once they go out in the world. One, um, Amy uh, went out in the world. She has big problems communicating, but at least she tries. And Tom hasn't, gotten, uh, you know, hasn't left the house yet at age 20. So they're going to have some big, big problems. So this is all real. I just changed the names a little bit. Um, I want our listeners to know that. Absence of responsibility. Amy and Tom were never given responsibilities at home. The pros were the carefree childhood, but the cons included a lack of accountability and self-reliance, making it challenging for them to manage their lives independently. And that is a big no-no. I was taught independence from early life on. So when I see that children were never given responsibilities, I have a big problem with that, including them in their daily lives and giving them responsibilities, whether it's to feed the animals or do their own laundry or do the family's laundry or start helping with prepping meals. You got to get the children involved, and you—if they don't do it, I'll empty the dishwasher. Now, at age eighteen, nineteen, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Now, trying to to teach a fifteen or sixteen-year-old to do their own laundry or to empty the dishwasher—you think they have a whistle on their lips when they're doing it? They mm-hmm. do it reluct- reluctantly. Doctor Chris, I mm-hmm. would ask you to 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 come in. 
Yeah, uh, now it's late. It's late to learn this thing, those things. Uh, you know, what are they going to do? I mean, they're used to not doing anything, not, not uh, participating, not sharing the chores. I mean, what are they going to be um, when they get married? Then they're going to, when they have kids of their own, uh, they're going to be lost. They will have to learn those things. They will not be adequate with parents it's 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 not uh you know they will have to learn everything by themselves by having maybe somebody as a role model they will have to compensate uh at uh, a later age by having the the a great role model but are they going to choose the role model that they need to choose it's it's no no, no because they feel entitled not. Most yeah. kids feel in, entitled, a yeah. sense of entitlement, and especially when when it comes to strangers and strange strangers will uh, who they let's say work for, uh, they the the uh, the strange you know the um, the individual will tell them that hey I noticed so and so and try to make a correction and. They don't like to be told what to do, and they don't know how to handle the criticism outside of the family unit. Uh, when the family does it, it's normal. It goes in one ear, out the other. But when strangers, they're not used to that. Yeah. The boy has never experienced, but the girl is experiencing it, and she has a hard time dealing with it. You know? I know some people like that, and they cannot keep a job because they think they're the best, and they think they know better than their boss, and they don't accept criticism, so they're laid off. They're hired, and then they're laid off, and they're hired, and then they're laid off. So they cannot keep any job, and it's a disaster. Terrible, terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, limited emphasis on lifelong learning. I experienced that. Education was not priority in the Johnson's household. Amy and Tom rarely read or engaged the learning outside of school. Typical 60s. The pros included more free time, but the cons involved missed opportunities for personal growth and intellectual development. I'd like to bring Bob into the conversation, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was fortunate and unfortunate enough to learn computers at a young age, but I learned them because I was homesick for a whole year or so, and so I just sat there and learned on the computer. But that experience helped me 10 years, 15 years later to start my own computer business and everything, and it gave me the confidence to know that I could figure things out, I could learn programming, I could do the things because I had hands-on learning experience. And so to me, that was really a critical piece of the puzzle for my own life. And I've tried to instill that with the kids that I've helped and the people that I teach. It's more just about reading the, the booklet, but actually putting it to the test and then trying new things and switching things around and testing things out and really taking a scientific approach to just about anything that you're exploring or learning. Now, I took apart a lot of radios and electronic gadgets as a kid and always had a few pieces left over, but somehow they still worked. So it wasn't always a perfect um, 
process, but I feel it's extremely important to have the hands-on learning for sure. Right, but again, it all depends on uh, what the parents, what they modeled. And let me go back to the Mm -hmm. 60s to uh, give an example again. Um, Most people, most adults went through the war in Europe and Mm -hmm. they were rebuilding after the war Mm -hmm. and that took them a long time. It took them almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Both of my parents worked, so in in the mid-50s, they were able to build their own home. Mm -hmm. Their minds were not on education. Their minds were stuck in survival mode and being Mm -hmm. able to have a a good home, their own home, uh, no renters, uh, to, to really have enough food to eat to make sure that they invested money in food so they had food even for when bad times were coming again and mm-hmm. they were saving their money. So they believed not in my parents. doesn't mean mm-hmm. everybody was like that, but in my, par- my parents, they didn't believe in toys, but toys would break, so that was a waste of time, a waste of money, and the education um, happens in the classroom at, at school. And if the child didn't perform like the, like the teacher wanted it or expected it, uh, you were punished. So they mm-hmm. didn't want anything to do with, you know, reading with you or any, anything like that. No. The child was left alone. So this is what was modeled to me. And I was able to develop much later in life because I really mm-hmm. wanted more. I changed mm-hmm. environment. And, and as I was changing environment, I met different people, people that mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be like them. I saw different role models. So, yes, it is so true uh, what parents model, but that was the time I, in the era I grew up in, and uh, there's nothing I, I can do now except I developed myself mm-hmm. over time. Let's go to poor communication and empathy. Uh, there needed to be more open communication in the Johnson family, which meant that problems were often ignored or escalated. The pros included avoiding conflict, but the cons had unresolved issues, emotional distance, and lack of empathy. Dr. Chris, we know about families that don't communicate. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, the families that don't communicate is, is again it's a disaster because kids learn to not tell anything about their emotions if there is anything bothering them they they're not telling their parents so they don't have any support uh, they try to solve their problems with their peers which is not the greatest if if they could be openness in the family, if the kids can come to the parents with their problem openly and right away when the problem is not so big and then the parents can brainstorm with the child on how to solve that problem, uh, then it's then we don't escalate. It prevents the problem from escalating uh, and it teaches the child um, how to communicate for the future with their own uh, partner, with their own kids, a good role model, um, and that's 
that's wonderful, but very few parents do that. I mean, nowadays, I think parents learn more how to do that, how to communicate with their kids, but a lot of them still don't know how. So that's a, yeah, they need to learn. That's right. Um, Again, how it was, um, don't bother dad, uh, don't bother mom or it's not the right time, or is in a good mood. Uh, it all depends on what, how we feel comfortable. Did I feel comfortable talking to my father? I don't think so. My father didn't talk about feelings. My mother did. My mother tried to do her best in that respect. But today, if there is no conversation, uh, everybody will end up at the therapist's office. Uh, I really want to get through all them because this is so important for the parents, to our, for our listeners. Um, weak problem-solving skills. Amy and Tom struggled to find solutions when conflict arose as they were never taught problem-solving skills. The pros included avoiding confrontation, but the cons involved unresolved issues, frustration, and lack of critical thinking. Now, I want everybody to know how important that is because we're no longer as children will do what, what we're being told just because the parent says, hey, we got to do this. Yeah? It, it, it just it doesn't, it doesn't happen. You see maybe a two- or three-year-old questioning the, the parents why they have to do something, something what they were being told. I've seen that. You know, mm-hmm. it's cute. But it really isn't because it, 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 it just, um, there's a generation, like my generation, we grew up, uh, don't question anything, just do as, as you're being told. Mm-hmm. And we did it reluctantly. Mm-hmm. We hated it. Yeah? And we passed that on to our children. So mm-hmm. everything changed. Um, I'd like to bring you in, Bob. I mean, it's you're absolutely right. It's you know, in the olden days, you didn't bother dad, you didn't bother mom, you didn't bother anybody. You came home from school, went to your room, <laughs> did, didn't watch TV unless you were very lucky, um, or if you did, then you get in trouble for not doing your homework and watching TV. But you know, I think the rules have changed over the years for many different reasons. And as you said, that's what's kind of led to the kids being, in a sense, more aware at a young age. I recently helped raise, um, during the COVID, helped teaching a 10-year-old and then also was dealing with the two two going on 20-year-old who <laughs> she could barely she could barely speak but when she did boy you know she gave it to you she told you everything and you couldn't put anything over this kid you know she was like oh I want this chocolate I'm like We're, we don't have any more chocolate she says yes you do let me show you where and she grabbed your hand and dragged you to right where it was she just couldn't reach it because she was only you know, two feet tall, but she knew exactly where it was and she wasn't going to let you get away with telling her that it didn't, that it wasn't there anymore. So definitely agree. Times have changed a lot in the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, in some cases for the better, in some cases not so much. Yeah, it was unheard of that an 80-year-old grandma or grandpa explained 
explained anything to a, a small child or to anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You just had to function and just, you had to just, yeah, you know, do what they told you. Well, it's not mm-hmm. like that anymore. Mm-hmm. It just, it doesn't work anymore. Right. Anyway, let, let me move on to something very important, difficulty with resilience. Amy mm-hmm. and Tom had never faced significant challenges or failures. We're talking about the two children. So the pros include a sense of security, but the cons involved a lack of resilience, making them unprepared to handle adversity when it eventually arose. And it will arise as soon as you leave the home. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Chris. Yeah. Resilience is, is very important to have. Uh, and again, so in order to be able to deal with the difficulties in life, with the stress, with, the, with adversity, you need to be taught. This is something, resilience, that you need to learn. You don't have it from birth. You need to learn it. And, uh, well, how do you learn that? Um, well, you need uh, strong relationships. You need people that are supportive of you. Some people don't have the right relationships. You, you need also to de- know how to develop a positive mindset, uh, to focus on the positive aspect of life when the things are becoming tough. Uh, And that's, again, something that you learn. And if you don't have anybody to teach you, uh, it's much more difficult to learn. But if you have, I know I had my mother that taught me resilience. And that became very easy for me because I was taught resilience from a very early age. Um, mm-hmm. also need to learn from your experiences. Like if people have bad experiences or difficult experiences, instead of saying, oh, my gosh, that was so bad, I give up, you know, you need to say, okay, that was a bad experience. Let me learn. What did I do that was wrong? If I had to do it again, how can I do it differently? And uh, take it as a learning. Take every uh, experience as a learning experience, even if, it, even if it's a bad experience. Um, so those are all learned, and it's so important to uh, either learn this from parents or from a role model or from books uh, or from watching TV or, you know, uh, where people can explain how to do this. Uh, it's, it's important to learn. Right. Giving kids experiences, and most parents I remember growing up gave their kids great experiences. And I'm starting from the very basic, every kid had a swing in their backyard. That was a big thing. Um, Kids had um, uh, all the toys uh, that you can imagine, from dolls to um, uh, puppet house, a, a doll house, uh, any anything you uh, sled balls to play with a hula hoop, they had their own record player, and as the songs were coming out, boy, they had their records. They went out and got the latest records. So, as everybody was growing up, they had all these experiences. Rollerblading that was a big thing. Uh, sled sled riding, all of this, all, everything. And then you get you get a little older and you start with the you know dressing like an adult with the little shoes, the little pumps, you know, the little high heels, hardly half an inch high. That was a big deal to somebody who was twelve, thirteen years old, mm-hmm. uh, compared to what they do today. 
So if you don't give your children that experience, um, which I didn't have, um, yeah, well, how, how, does, how does this tie in now with resilience? Uh, I had no experience at all. So I had none. So um, I failed in everything. Whatever was presented in school, I failed at everything. I failed at sports because I didn't try hard. I lost interest. Um, and um, I made it through school, but uh, I was empty. I was very empty, very, very empty. Uh, I was a very creative kid very interested in, in, the, in the environment. And I was a quick study and a quick learner too. But I had no ar- archive of experiences. But I did know how to help myself in the kitchen. I was very good in home economics um, in, my, in cooking classes because I, I was helping at home every day. I had chores to, to handle. I had meal preparations to do. So I was really advanced compared to, to the other kids that were in the cooking class. So that was about the only thing. The rest, it was just, you know. Again, I developed much later in life. I want, I want everybody to know who's listening to us, there is hope. Have no fear. There is hope. <laughs> so um, the last one, self-centeredness instead of kindness. Kindness was rarely emphasized in the Johnson's household. The pros included avoiding external demands, but the cons involved self-centered behavior, lack of empathy, and strained relationships with others. Dr. Chris, if you would be so kind. Uh, Well, it's important to uh, be open to uh, not be self-centered, to be open to understanding other people's point of view, how other other people think, what their emotions are, and not only be centered on ourselves, our own emotions. You know, it's funny because yesterday I was listening to um, uh, Carl Rogers, who is a psychologist uh, who died uh, in his 80s. He was born in 1902, and he's uh, he's so influential in psychology, and I was listening to him, and he describes how important it is when he's with clients to listen to them, to try to deeply understand them, even if they're very different than him, and only by understanding them deeply can he um, offer changes or can the, the people progress in uh, in their life. So as a child, if you're not taught to understand other children, other points of view, and if you're only taught to think about yourself, it's not going to be productive for the rest of your life. Because how do you get to have a job? If you have a job, you need to understand what your boss wants. What is your boss' point of view? If you don't understand that, you won't be successful. Uh, if, you, if you have a partner in life, you need to understand what your partner feels. What is it to be in your partner's shoes? And then you can relate, then you can deeply understand. But if you're not taught that, if you're only taught to be yourself, to be selfish, then it's not a good, it's not, it doesn't predispose you to a very happy future, or you need to learn. Back to you, Maria. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, and I know there are listeners out there that can 
totally identify with what we're saying because a, a, a person who was not taught um, what we talked about, uh, we just we even picked the partners just according to what we wanted. So and never even thought about that. How if I don't know about this, if I was not being if I wasn't taught, how would I know that? So I just go by what 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 is on on you know on my like on my like um, letter if you if you will w- what I need so uh, and never even consider the other person I just didn't know about it Robert what what do you say to that Well I was taught at an early age I would say you know to be nice and to be kind and I always stuck up for you know, the people that were being picked on and stuff like that. And I don't know if that came from watching TV and watching those kinds of shows where, you know, it's the good guy versus bad guy or what it is. But, you know, I've always tried to be helpful to people and be kind and understanding and, you know, but also to watch out for people taking advantage and being bullies or things like that. So, it's but did a, you really understand people? Did you really? Where did it come from? Did you really understand the people? Or you, over time, you grew into that role. I, I think yeah, it took. It was later that I grew into that. But even as a kid, I was always, you know, oh so-and-so didn't, they only have an apple for lunch. Oh, here's half my, you know, my lunch. You know, I would always try to help out people. That was just in my nature as a kid, but it mm-hmm. wasn't until later that, you know, I I kind of fostered that more, so to say. Nice, nice. And you, I do have mm-hmm. to say you have a, a wonderful um, side in you helping people and you do it consistently not not no matter if you have the time you make the time and um it it just this is really that's a very beautiful side in you that is very very precious i do have to say that i love that very very much in you and i wish you're welcome i wish i had had that experience as a child because i would have had more of a track record Mm-hmm. And um, uh, that was just not given. Um, my parents believe were don't worry about the other people. They stayed within their own family unit, um, and uh, don't talk to strangers. That's how I grew up. Mm-hmm. And again, it was made much later in life um, that I life taught me uh, how to understand others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and um, I'm glad because there's also big room, a big space inside of me uh, to live that and and and, mm-hmm. and help people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that was just not um, uncovered or nurtured or um, cultivated when as I was mm-hmm. a, a child. So, what I'm saying is to our listeners, there could be things inside of you you don't even know yourself, but you know, it just has to be discovered. It has to be brought out. There is, mm. you know, there is time even now. Um, you know, uh, there's. It's ageless. We don't have a, t- mm-hmm. a, a time on it. Well, it's too late now. It's never too late for anything. That's what I wanted to say. And you know, mm-hmm. we're 
we have another 10 minutes of our program. Let me just move right into um, segment three, a hands-on learning experience, which I really believe in. And uh, I believe in um, at age two that you can um, really educate uh, children through play, which I have done with my grandchildren, mm-hmm. Sophie and Max, over the course of many, many years. And kids love to give their own opinion, and they love play, but there was, a, there was reality in there too. Mm-hmm. And I remember in one of the plays, Sophie and I mentioned this in, in our other radio programs, um, Sophie was Judge Judy because she always felt good in this, uh, you know, in this role. And Max was uh, Bert, Judge Judy's mm-hmm. assistant. And I would come up with real cases, and Sophie uh, would would um, really rule on it. Mm. And um, uh, it was amazing. We did so many games um, over, over time where it was their opinion mattered. Mm. Uh, and kids feel good if they have a voice, if mm-hmm. they have the, the voice. So, Dr. Chris, I'd like to bring you in. How was it with you when you grew up? <laughs> well, uh, well, what comes to mind, actually, is uh, when I spend time with my little nieces and nephews, uh, it's, or my grandnieces or grandnephews, doesn't make me any younger, but anyways, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it's amazing when I ask a, a two-year-old or a three-year-old their opinion, they feel empowered and they explain to me what they think and they love it. Love, 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 love it. And uh, it's fascinating to see what, the, I can already see who the individual that they're becoming. I can see their qualities, that who they're going to become as an adult, the way they're reasoning, the way they're thinking. Already at three years old, you can see it's, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful for me to discover uh, each child and ask the child's opinion. I was not asked uh, my opinion when I was a child. I was just like what you said, Marietta. You know, it's a, you, you do what you, you're taught to do, and we're not asking for your opinion. And um, at that, I missed, because I think it's, it's really, really amazing what happens when you, when you ask for a child's opinion. And also at one point, uh, you know, when you were talking about uh, the, the relationship with the, uh, a six-year-old and the 80-year-old, where you said that at that time, you know, the 80-year-old would not ask the six-year-old any opinion. And I'm going to, I'm going to say, you know, nowadays, a five- or six-year-old can tell an 80-year-old how to do things. They can give advice on the computer. Oh, you need to... If you if you press on that, if you, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just because the, the, at, at yeah. two years old, they have a little um, little phone and they are, they're watching their favorite um, shows, mm-hmm. so they know which button to push. And I remember, oh my God, when I grew up, uh, and I had to go to special school for typing and shorthand, and how important it was to use a typewriter and and type fast and accurately. I mean, that was. Uh, that was a big thing at that time. Now mm-hmm. everybody types. Even in the, the in the womb, they type. They're typing. <laughs> the little babies, right. they're all typing now. So what's, what's mm-hmm. you know what is this? 
You know, it's amazing mm-hmm. what happened in the past 60 years. It's just, it really mm-hmm. is amazing. But I believe that hands-on, um, how to learn um, common sense, very, very important. Yeah. When you include children in your everyday life, mm-hmm. you learn all of this. You learn, um, you learn common common sense, and I'm just I just grabbed for you know from mm-hmm. my, from my notes. So I always give the um, the little um, scenario how my father taught me how to sweep um, fast, get the task done on, on, you know on, in a timely manner, and do it accurately, and not sweep the dust and dirt all over the the place first, and then you start again, and then you sweep it up, you know. So it's it's amazing what you can learn every day, but it's the parents that have to stay, you know, uh, on top of everything, and uh, you know, be conscious about what what they're being what they're trying to teach too, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, about common sense. Us. Yes. About and, common sense, I would just I want to tell a little story. Uh, there okay. are two children. Two children's experience with basketball. Um, there is a team of, that plays basketball in a in a in a field nearby, and uh, there are two. 11-year-old boys that really would like to join the team. So one 11-year-old boy says, oh, my God, I really want to play. I'm going to ask directly the team if I can play. So the boy goes in, and he asks the team, can I play, can I play, can I play? And the team says, no, you cannot play, no, no, no. The other boy, the 11, the other 11-year-old boy doesn't ask. Whatever he does, he's going to play in the court next to the, where the team plays, and he's going to practice and practice, and every day he's there practicing until he becomes so good. And then the team that is playing next to him is looking at him and, and, and sees how good he, be, he has become, and that's the team that is, ask, is going to ask him if he wants to play with them. And and that is the common sense. Is how you know how that boy had the common sense to not ask directly, but show how good he was, and then he is the one that will be asked to play. I thought that that was a great story. It's a great story. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, I have developed uh, over time a couple of programs. Uh, one is for. Uh, ages 5 to 11, and the other one is uh, ages 12 to 18. Uh, the need is different, obviously, when they're 12 through 18. But let me just grab one particular category, resilience and rejection, helping kids cope with setbacks. This is about the worst um, that a child can experience when they have setbacks. And I can only say us adults have the same thing because we never learned how to um, overcome rejection. And especially, um, Bob and I were in sales. A big portion of our work is sales. So, and uh, in re- in sales, you have constantly rejection. I had rejection all my life from child, you know, from childhood on. So kids didn't want to play with me. Uh, kids didn't want to, um, you know, didn't want me on their sled because I didn't have one. Kids didn't want me r- rollerblading, a lot of things. So I was rejected all my life. 
So um, then I go, you know, into into this entrepreneurial world where um, I'm full of re- I'm in in a sea of rejection. Hmm. And you know what? I learned. I still hate it. You will never love rejection. Let me tell you, I don't care what therapist you have and whatever you take, I don't care. I, I, learned, <laughs> I learned to handle it better. And sometimes that means I'm shredding it right through the um, paper shredder, um, you know, my notes and everything, and uh, then I feel better. I said, no, it's not meant to be. No, that's it, you know, and... Um, and two weeks later, I pick up the project again and say, well, let me look at it and let me try again. And then it works. I hate rejection. Do you like rejection, Dr. Chris? What a stupid question. Well, but I I'm learned, ask you, know, you, anyway. you, know, you know, I auditioned a lot for roles because my, my hobby was acting. So mm-hmm. in, in acting, you get a lot of rejection all the time uh, for my hobby. So what I developed was not – I. I I assumed I was going to be rejected. I went in the audition by saying, okay, I know I'm going to be rejected. Let's just me. I'm just going to enjoy um, what I can enjoy, and I'm going to enjoy the day. I'm going to enjoy going to the audition. I'm going to maybe joke around with the producer because I'm not going to, because I know I'm going to be rejected. And I learned to be more myself, actually, because I never thought I would be accepted in anything. And whenever I was accepted, well, you know, then I was, oh my gosh, what? I'm accepted. This is wonderful. But um, I assumed I was going to be rejected. And that's, that's really helped me. It really helped me to just mm-hmm. appreciate the day and appreciate what I could appreciate. That was yeah. my attitude. Uh, I love mm-hmm. it. And how about you, How about you, Bob? Uh, how... Well, I, nobody likes rejection, but I try to take it, you know, especially in a client situation, if they say, oh, no, we don't want to do that or something. If I feel maybe they are saying that because they don't fully know the benefits of what I'm trying to offer them, then I'll say, well, do you have a few more minutes where I can explain a couple things or show you a couple charts? And then in a nice way, just try to educate them a little bit better so that they could make a decision based on all the facts, not just the limited information they had that may have led to the quote-unquote rejection. and that often helps, you know. So, you know, it's it's not good, but if you just, you know, my favorite phrase, you know, just, just throw the baby out with the bathwater, you're guaranteed to, to never succeed with that. Whereas I know, me, but you, you were, sorry to interrupt you, <laughs> but you, you just presented this in a mental, uh, on a mental level. What, what your emotional level is, you don't talk about. Um, well, so. emotionally, I don't let it get to me. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, we grew up, like you say, we grew up in sales. I, before I had my own business, I worked in sales in a sporting goods store. And sometimes you can sell the $300 tennis racket and sometimes you mm-hmm. can't, but it's okay. You know, and you just got to know, hey, not everybody can afford the $300 tennis racket and it's okay. Right. Right. 
Well, I have to I have to add something to this. Um, I hate rejection, yes, but I always want to win. So, meaning winning, where when I set out to do something, that people say yes to me. Mm-hmm. So I remember. 37 years ago, 1984, I started started as an entrepreneur with my own business, and I had to do a lot of cold calling. And they all said no. And I said, well, let 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 me look at this closer. And I really became an expert in cold calling. So over time, because I just stuck to it, and I wanted to win. I wanted to master because it's, it's, it's an art. It's an art mm-hmm. to call a, a, a total stranger and ask them for an appointment to see you. It really mm-hmm. is. So, mm-hmm. And today I'm just more prepared about knowing what the other person is doing, how they're doing their business and, and so forth. And I mm-hmm. also listen to my inner voice, which mm-hmm. I didn't know at the time when I first started this. My inner voice and my knowledge now brings success where I have less, much, much less no's compared to mm-hmm. yes, yes, yeses. So um, I listen to my voice. Well, how do you feel, Marietta? Well, I really don't feel up to it making appointments today. You don't, I don't feel up to it talking to strangers every day. I don't. But if I listen to my inner voice... And today I have the knowledge. I know exactly, you know, how to come in with what angle. I have a great chance for them to say, yes, uh, Thursday at 8 o'clock is fine. Mm -hmm. No, it really is. And I love that. I really love it. But it was more finding out about that other person that I want to have a conversation with and learning about them. Uh, That's what it was all about. And I wanted to master it. I really did. Anyway, Dr. Chris and, and, and Bob, I have to wrap it up because together we have explored the critical link between early brain development and empowering future leaders. By providing hands-on learning experiences, we enhance cognitive abilities and foster essential life skills, empathy, and a sense of purpose in young individuals. Through this holistic approach to education, we can help shape a brighter more capable future generation of leaders and heroes. Contact info at kmareducation.org for more information and um, for private lessons. Uh, Check out Dr. Chris Gilbert's website, which is drchrisgilbert.com, and look at her great books. Um, And I want to thank Bob for spending time with us tonight, too. Oh, and this absolutely. was a good, good show. This was really a good show. show. So, doc, yep. Dr. Chris, thank you. Thank you for your time, and we'll talk to you real soon. Good thank night, you, Marriott. Good night. Good night, good Dr. Night. Thanks, Dr. Chris. Thank you, Marietta. Take care. Okay. Thank Bye. you, Bob. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.